If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, we're going to be looking in verses 8 through 11. Uh, In the chair Bible in front of you is page 64. Believe it or not, this was hard for me to believe. Maybe it'll be difficult for you to believe as well. Uh, A focus on a Sabbath is actually a good corrective for uh, American workers. While Americans today, I think, tend to think that our country is full of slackers, lazy people. You might think that based on every restaurant and coffee shop you go to when they have staff. We actually, believe it or not, statistically, we have real trouble not working. So a 2019 article in the Washington Post highlighted, for instance, the trouble that American workers have with vacations. So um, to begin with, America is, is the only country, actually the only country in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is a group of 36 of the world's wealthiest nations. America is the only country in that organization that doesn't require employers to give workers annual paid leave. But even among the American employees who do get paid vacation days each year, a majority of them don't use all of their days. I find that mind-boggling. There's probably a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, but while some of us are trying to, uh, are constantly angling to get more time off, <laughs> most of us aren't even taking advantage of the days off that we get. For some reason, so many of us are addicted to work. Or just general busyness. We're addicted to busyness. Many of us probably need more days off than we're taking. And so the command of Sabbath then is really the antidote to a kind of hurry sickness or a busy sickness. But as we'll see in um, our passage today, the doctrine of Sabbath and the call to embrace a rhythm of Sabbath is a lot more expansive than simply having a day off. So let's take a look. Verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read to verse 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We ask that you would bless our time together. Help us, Father, in our hearts to honor you as God and to receive the spirit of rest. For some of us, that's um, working directly against our flesh. Help us not just to rest in our bodies, but in our spirits as well, that we might receive the grace that you have for us in Christ Jesus. And we pray all these things for the magnification of his name above all names. Amen. Uh, we need to ask the question, I think, why we're addicted to work. Why we're addicted to busyness. Because work itself is not a bad thing, right? Work itself is actually a good thing. I think sometimes people think, sometimes we think maybe, that um, work is a consequence of the fall, right? We have this idea that uh, when Adam and Eve disobeyed and, and, uh, and brought rebellion into the world through their uh, you know, usurping of God's authority or their attempt to, that the Lord gave them work as a consequence or as a punishment from that sin. But actually, work is good. It existed before the fall. 
Work was given to man and woman as a kind of creation mandate. It was meant to adorn mankind as, as the crown of creation. To, in a way, work was given to us to reflect God himself, the image of God that we are made in. And part of the glory of man, meaning to reflect the glory of God, is to create stability, order, take dominion, spread shalom. It's, it's part of the call, in fact, to build civilization. Part of the call to human fruitfulness, be fruitful and multiply. That creation mandate is really a call to work. So we're wired for work. We're designed for work. But sometimes we take too much pride in our work. We take a kind of um, self-exaltation in our work. Or we wrap up our identity in what we do. And this, I think, is the major cause of what they call workaholism. It's a, an idolatry that comes out of even a healthy occupation where we turn goods into gods. Good things into little g god things. This is the major cause of the addiction to being busy. Where staying productive becomes a point of pride. Those who are, in fact, too stubborn to rest are showing just as much self-centeredness as those who are too lazy to work. Believe it or not. The Lord says, verse 9, six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So the first thing that we see about the Sabbath in this passage is that the Sabbath is a reminder to rest. Sabbath is a reminder to rest. It's actually a command to rest. It's not even a suggestion. This is an imperative. This is a commandment given to us. It's a reminder to rest. So God here in this passage is codifying the blessing of rest. He's establishing what a healthy rhythm of life looks like. There's a regular pattern of work punctuated by rest. Work six days, rest one. And this changes, of course, when Adam and Eve disobey. So work isn't a consequence of the fall, but laborious work, toil, is a consequence of the fall. So when, when Adam and Eve disobey, sin comes into the world, the, the, the very ground underneath them is cursed, now work comes by the sweat of the brow. Now work comes through the thorns and the thistles. Now work is frustrating and wearying. It feels like going against the grain rather than going with the grain of creation. So God knows, especially after this fall, when real labor, when real toil comes into our efforts, when fatigue and grief and suffering and death enter our bodies, that our bodies need rest. We're finite creatures with limited capacities. We don't have endless strength. We don't have limitless resources. We are not omnipotent. And in fact, to be able to work most effectively, to work most fruitfully, to be the best at our work, we have to rest. Our bodies need to recuperate, to be re-energized, be recharged. But the rhythm of work, 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 rest, work, 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 rest, work, 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 rest, speaks to something, I think, in fact, beyond just our bodily limits. It actually speaks to our spiritual limits as well. Notice something in verse 10. Why is rest connected to holiness? This is a Sabbath to the Lord, it says. To the Lord. 
this commanded rest of Sabbath is more than taking a day off. Sabbath is a sacred obligation that we submit to the Godhood of God. Sabbath is how we say, you are God and we are not. Obeying the command to Sabbath is one way that we acknowledge that we aren't omnipotent, that we aren't omniscient, that we aren't omnipresent, that we don't have unlimited power like God does. Resting is how we demonstrate our submission to the reality that we are not God. Many years ago, uh, when Becky and I first moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and we were young and we were living in an apartment and we had bought our very first home. And it was way across town, about 45 minutes from where we lived at the time. And both of us worked full-time, and I was going to school full-time, and we were just constantly tired. But in our, um, our decision to move, our landlord, our apartment landlord, had said that if we could be out by a certain date, I think it was the end of that coming weekend or something, um, we could have our security deposit back. Some of you, you're in this situation. You remember, every dollar counts, right? It, was, it wasn't a thing like, you know what, forget the security deposit. We'll go to the end of the month. No, it was like, oh, we, we can get that money back. That's good. So we bought the, you know, uh, we rented the largest truck that we could, and we began to make trips, the two of us and a couple of friends. We just filled that truck up and moved it 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back, just bit by bit. Three days, we went almost round the clock moving. At the end of that, we've like unloaded the last, the last load at the house and turned the rental truck, and I went straight from there straight to work, and I worked at the Baptist bookstore in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And I was just, you know when you're so tired... You're so tired, it's like your body's vibrating. You ever been that tired? Like there's always, it's like almost like an out-of-body experience. You feel detached from yourself. Just kind of like you're, you're humming along. That's, that's kind of how I felt. And so I'm walking, I'm, and, you know, I you know, park in the parking garage there, and I'm walking down to, come to the bookstore, and I just feel like I'm not inside of myself. And, and then I started weeping. Tears are coming. And, but I'm not sad, right? So just tears are falling. I'm like, what? What is this salty discharge you know, coming from my face? You know, what, is, what is happening? And I don't know why, because I'm not sad about anything. And I finally get down to the bookstore, and one of my you know, coworkers comes up to me and, and says, what's wrong? He could just see right away, what's wrong? And as soon as he said it, I blacked out and passed out, fainted dead away. And I woke up. I don't know how much time passed. I don't think it was a super long time. But I woke up on the couch in the break room of the, of the store, and it's moments like that you really begin to take stock of your life, right? <laughs> and as I was processing what had happened, and really all I could come to the conclusion was, like, my body just said, that's it. You, we've reached the limit. We, we don't have any more to give. We're done. You're done. And later, as I was kind of thinking through it, I was talking with um, my first mentor in the ministry. He's a pastor in, in Houston. His name is Mike. And I was talking to him about it, and he said, you know, I've, I've been in very similar situations. And, and then he gave me a bit of wisdom that I've never forgotten. He said, Jared, I think um, if we don't take a Sabbath, the Lord will make us take one. And they're never as fun as the one we take of our free will, right? And it reminds me of the line, you know, in Psalm 23. Has this ever occurred to you? Psalm 23 it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Like, if you won't lie down, I'll make you lie down. And it's not always as peaceful as obeying the command yourself. Because resting is an embrace of our creatureliness. Only God is omnipotent. So when we don't rest, we're acting like little gods. And we forget that we are finite. That we don't have unlimited capacities. So Sabbath is a reminder to rest. To rest from our work. 
and to rest from the pretense that we're little gods. Rest is one of the ways that we echo Psalm 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. So rest and reflect that you're God-made, not self-made. Rest and reflect on God's good gifts. He's given us these great gifts like sleep and recreation and family and friends and hobbies. Rest and reflect on the glory of God in worship. The command to rest, um, the command of Sabbath is a reminder to rest. But secondly, Sabbath is a reminder of heaven. Sabbath is a reminder of heaven. It's so hard to think of that day, isn't it, when you are so drowning in this day. When the obligations, the responsibilities, the appointments, just the circumstances of life are so pressing and so burdensome and just so crowding out your mind. Your head is down, look at all that you have to do, all the things you haven't done that you need to get to. All of that is going on and just swirling and, and, and enslaving you in some way. It's hard to think of that day to come, isn't it? But the command to rest, the command to Sabbath, is a call for us to think of that day, actually. So notice the first part of verse 11. The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. What is happening here? There is a vision that is being cast to the Israelites' mind of all creation. The Lord um, does this even in verse 10 when he begins to extend the Sabbath principle to the entire household and even to the livestock and to the whole social order. But especially in verse 11, the connection of Sabbath, not just to the man, but to the whole of creation is really, really important. It's why even later there will be laws instituted about letting the land itself rest after a period of years. So Sabbath is embedded in the order of nature. We actually see just in the cycles of nature and in life cycles, we see really the idea of Sabbath kind of echoed there and embedded there. It's reflected in the cycle of planting and harvest. It's reflected in the strange calm in the air or in the water after a really violent storm. It's, of course, reflected in the progression of the seasons, right? How fall and winter come after spring and summer in that cycle. It's why we're prone to sleep every night. And even when we can't get to sleep, we, our body feels like it should sleep. We know we, there's a cycle in, inside of us that tells us we need to rest. We need to lie down. And because Sabbath is embedded in the very order of nature, the order of creation, Sabbath then naturally points forward too. It points forward to the day when all creation will be at rest from the curse. It points to the new creation that is coming. So the rest at the end of a tiring work week can remind us of all of the newness that is coming to creation. I don't know about you, but, but I learned these lessons the hard way. I, you know, after what happened to me in Nashville, I still, I'm, I'm a stubborn person. Uh, I feel like in some ways I'm repenting of um, the laziness of my 20s. And I've somewhat overcorrected, so I say yes to a whole lot more stuff than I ought to. And I go a lot more harder than I probably ought to. Um, some of you know, I think I've even shared this from a previous message. A couple of years ago, before a speaking engagement, um, I had what I thought at the time was a heart attack. Because uh, I'd never experienced it before. But it turned out to be, what the doctor said, an anxiety-induced panic attack. That's what they said. 
And so since then, I've tried to you know, think of things to kind of mitigate that and manage that and make some changes in my life and so on and so forth. And thankfully, praise God, since that moment two years ago, that was January 2020, um, I haven't had an incident like that. But one of the residual effects or ancillary effects, I, I guess, is I, I do have this anxiety that comes up in certain driving situations. And I can't seem to shake it. You know, I've done everything that I can think to do practically, diet, exercise. Spiritually, I pray, Lord, give me peace. Take this from me. Take this burden away from me. I, I don't want to feel this way. But particularly on you know, high rates of speed or tall bridges or you know, things like that. Um, and I can't predict it, but it's becoming more and more uh, recurring. Um, more and more often it happens. I, just, I feel like I'm going to fly out of control. There's just this sense of panic that begins to rise up in me, and I can't figure out how to, how to shake it. And it's really began to alter kind of uh, my life. You know, I, mean, I still drive, but I take the long way everywhere I go. I have to take back roads everywhere, so it takes me twice as long to get anywhere I need to go. And so I'm just constantly thinking of this and you know, being reminded of, of, of my body being broken. <laughs> and I know it's not like an imminent threat to my life. You know, I, I certainly don't suffer the way some people suffer with you know, severe pain and chronic illness and disabilities and all those sorts of things. But I just have this thing inside of me that, that I... I can't fix, and that I begged God to just kind of, you know, take away from me to, to fix it, but there's no, there's no formula, there's no, it's just like this ghost is kind of haunting me, and those of you um, who struggle maybe with anxiety or depression, um, maybe you identify with that, because other people, they don't quite understand, they, you know, they kind of wish you, well, if you just did this, that, or the other thing, or if you just prayed harder, if you just, if you just smiled, what have you got to be sad about, you know? Right? And you're thinking, oh, is it that simple? I really... <laughs> One of the blessings... It's a severe mercy. It's, not, it's a consequence of the fall. It's not a good thing that this is happening to you. But the Lord can use it for good. And here's how. It can remind us that this is not the way things ought to be. But instead of being mired in, in self-pity it can prompt us to look forward to that day. The scriptures tell us our body outwardly is wasting away. But inside, we are being renewed day by day. So I have this constant reminder in me, maybe you have a similar thing, maybe it's not the same, but there's something that's a reminder to you that your body is not the way it was designed to be. But thank God, it won't always be like this. This, this body's passing away, but it's good, actually. I don't want to keep this body. Some of you are at the age now, you're like, oh, I want to stay just like this. I'm sorry, it gets worse. <laughs> the grass withers and the flower fades. So do the abs and everything else. But he's going to give us new ones. You don't get to keep these bodies, but that's good. He's going to give us new ones. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. There is nothing that God will take from you that he will not give back to you a millionfold in the age to come. He will not cheat you. Our God will not cheat you. 
We all have to die. But those who are in Christ have a glorified resurrection coming. And I'm not just looking forward to a new body. As wonderful that, as, as that is, I'm not just looking forward to a new body. I'm looking forward to, just, to having the anxiety just whoop. But even deeper than that, I'm just looking forward to being without sin. <laughs> this dark cloud inside of me just sucked out of me forever. Won't that be a glorious day? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, all creation is groaning for this redemption. It's struggling in a way to give birth to the new creation that's coming. There will be a day when the Lord returns that all creation will be restored. Peace will be restored in the earth. And so Sabbath rest reminds us of that wonderful day. It lifts our gaze up to look forward to that blessed hope. The day when all of our strivings will cease, when all sin will be vanquished, when all grief will be no more, when there won't be any more sickness or death or disability or disease, when there won't be any more injustice, when God himself will reign in the consummated kingdom throughout the whole earth. This was Job's hope. I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end, I will see him face. He will stand upon the earth. Aren't you tired of all those things now? I mean, I'm just tired. Turn on the news or just look out your window. The world is so broken. How do we get out of this? Or you just look in the mirror. Think it's so broken. How do I get out of this? There is a day coming. When that day comes, we will finally be at rest. Be honest with yourself. What, what is it that you're longing for? In this age, we are all dying. We can't, we can't stop that. Nobody gets out of here alive. But Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will never die. And even if you die, yet shall you live. In this age, we can't prevent it. But in that age, we'll finally be alive. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, calls us to rest now, yes. But in its connection of Sabbath to creation itself, it is pointing us forward to the day of the new heavens and the new earth. So next time you have a day off, or you're just taking some time to catch your breath in the middle of a work day, let yourself be cheered by the reminder of the joyous age to come. That sigh is an amen about the new heavens and the new earth coming. There's a, a day coming where we won't rest because we're tired. We'll rest from being tired. Woo, tired no more. Sabbath is a reminder of heaven. And because Sabbath is a reminder of heaven, thirdly and finally, Sabbath is a reminder of grace. Sabbath is a reminder of grace. We cannot get to the everlasting life of the new heaven and the new earth apart from the saving grace of God. It's the only way, in fact, that sinners can stand before a holy God and enjoy his presence forever. To be saved by grace, received through faith in Christ alone. And the context of Exodus 20 points us to that as well, believe it or not. So first of all, just think of the historic context of this passage. This is the Ten Commandments. Think of the historic context of the Ten Commandments as a whole. And what we tend to do with the Ten Commandments, or any commandments really, but 
Think of what the Pharisees did with this law, this specific law, the command of Sabbath. They created all kinds of strange rules about how to obey it, and they actually violated the spirit of it. They turned the command about rest into something really wearying. Only a pharisaical spirit could do something like that. Man, the command to rest really is burdensome. That's legalism at work. They turned the Sabbath into an unbearable law, which is what legalism always does. It mistakes the point of God's commands. And so this bad theology is constantly on a collision course with Jesus. It is today, if you struggle with legalism, you realize you're on a collision course almost every day with the grace of God in Christ. But it also just is in the Gospels, in the historic record of Jesus and his earthly ministry. So in Matthew chapter 12, we see actually um, a Sabbath conflict. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Haven't you read what David did? When he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God? And they ate the bread of the presence? Which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests? Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, you're not going to out-commandment me. <laughs> I wrote the commandments. And I'm telling you, all of these laws, including the fourth commandment, is about me. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath means that he authored it, that he mastered it, that he fulfills it. The Sabbath is about Jesus. This is why, for instance, this is just me speaking personally here, I don't think it, it, it will do for us to be strict about a particular day. The Bible speaks to this elsewhere, of course, but in that passage, we see Jesus reinterpreting the Sabbath in light of himself. So it's the spirit of the law that needs to be obeyed in this regard. And you can obey the letter of it. You can be a strict Sabbatarian. Look, Sabbathing on Saturdays only. But without centering your heart, your rest in Jesus, you've missed the whole point. This is why the early church moved Sabbath observance to Lord's Day worship on Sundays. To reflect the true spirit of the command. And to, of course, weekly commemorate the day that Jesus was resurrected. Because the Sabbath is about the Lordship of Christ. And anyone who walks around proud of like, well, I'm a strict Sabbatarian, and I'm a better obeyer than you. They miss the whole point. They miss the whole point, and they're in grave spiritual danger, even by keeping the letter of the law. Joe Thorne says, if Christ is not part of your Sabbath keeping, you're not keeping the Sabbath. There's a few other encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees that, that speak to his being the purpose of Sabbath, but one of my favorite examples of this principle isn't a scene with the Pharisees at all. It's a very precious little moment between Jesus and two of his closest friends. This comes from Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, it may seem noble to always be working. Or it might seem impressive to always be working. I wonder if you see yourself in that scene. You have a bent one way or the other. And you know, we shouldn't look at this scene and see Martha Mary's like personality types or anything like that. But you see just in this scenario how you're bent one way or the other, don't you, I think? Martha's busyness, we see, is about distraction. Jesus calls it out. He diagnoses it very, he's like, you're, you're distracted. Jesus even refers to her anxiety. You know, sometimes our failure to keep Sabbath, our addiction to busyness, isn't about liking work too much. It's about not liking being still. I don't know if you identify with that. Maybe staying busy has become a reliable distraction for you from the pain of your life. Like you think, if I'm still, I'll actually have to face the things in my mind and heart that I don't want to face. I'll actually have to think about the broken stuff inside of me. I'll have to struggle with the trauma of my past or the pain of my present. But refusal to be still doesn't just avoid facing difficult things. Like you might be trying to medicate yourself with busyness to soothe against the pain you don't want to feel when you're still. But refusing to be still doesn't just avoid facing difficult things. It avoids presenting those difficult things to Jesus. It's an attempt at trying to fix yourself. Between busying yourself as a distraction from your pain or being still to sit at the feet of Jesus, choose the better portion. Choose the better portion. Jesus is the point of the Sabbath. Grace is the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath is ultimately about the rest that we receive when we come to faith in Christ. In fact, the other commandments passage where the Sabbath is uh, reiterated actually reflects this concept too. So um, Deuteronomy chapter 5, I think we have this for the screen. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is a passage where the Sabbath command is repeated, reiterated, but a different reason or a different um, context is given. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath so that they might remember their freedom from slavery. And this, in this passage, um, verse 15, remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in the Exodus passage, it's because the Lord rested from his works, therefore you rest from your works. In this passage, it's to remember that you are free. The reason stated here for why the law is given is to remind the Israelites of freedom. And I think this is even reflected in our Exodus 20 passage. If you just think about the historical chronology where the commandments show up, where the law shows up. It, the law is given to Israel after the Exodus. That's important because it tells us just in the kind of timeline view a, a very important theological point, which is we don't achieve freedom through our obedience. We're set free 
by God's mighty grace, and then the law is given to us um, uh, as a means of worshipful response to the freedom that we've been given. And as a witness to those around us, this is how free people live. So obeying all the commandments, including the command of Sabbath, is, is like that for us too. Sabbath in particular is a reminder of the rest, the spiritual rest that we now enjoy from our enslavement to sin because of the saving grace of God. Sabbath is a reminder of our freedom from bondage. And this is exactly where the New Testament authors take it. Author of Hebrews, for instance, this is a selection from our uh, scripture reading earlier in the service. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, the author writes, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. And then in verse 11, he writes, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. The ESV uh, translation renders that phrase, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest which is a really curious juxtaposition. Strive to enter the rest. Why would it be put that way? I think it's because our hearts are just bent towards the flesh. Our hearts are bent towards works righteousness. It's, it's, it's hard work. It's sanctifying work. It goes against the, the, the grain of our flesh to rest in grace because we like the accolades. We like to be impressive. We like to be seen. We like applause. We like, to, we like the idea of earning that we have God's favor because we're awesome people and super spiritual. And the Lord's saying, I want you to rest from all that. I want you to rest from all that. We want to believe that we have made us, we ourselves. And so we have to reset our hearts and minds on the gospel every day. Sabbath can be a re reminder that Christians are not under law but under grace. Are we still obligated to obey God? Yes, of course but not as a means of earning or meriting what he's done for us, but as a response of worship for what he's given us freely in Jesus. Remember, Jesus did not cry out from the cross, get to work. He said, it is finished. In Exodus 20, verse 11, the Lord blesses the Sabbath. The Lord blessed the Sabbath, it says. The Sabbath isn't reflective of a burden. It's reflective of a blessing. And there is no greater blessing than the grace of Christ. Jesus also didn't say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you steps. So I'll give you rest. The Sabbath is about grace. It is a resting from our efforts at being our own God. At saving ourselves. So honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy is ultimately about embracing the grace that saves us from our sin including the fundamental sin of self-righteousness. The cross of Jesus where he died to forgive sins and the resurrection of Jesus where he rose to purchase eternal life is the gift that God gives us that finally, finally, if, if this is what you're looking for, it only comes through the gospel, we finally get peace, joy, comfort, and yes, rest. The burden gone. The rest we really need. The rest that deep down we are really longing for, really wanting. You can rest from your efforts to earn God's favor. You can rest from your efforts to prove yourself worthy. You can rest from your fear of condemnation. Come to Jesus and he will finally, wonderfully, eternally 
give you rest? Are you trying to earn your way to it? Earn your way to heaven? Earn your way to right standing with God? You don't have to do that. And the reality is you can't. You can't. That's why sometimes it's so weary. It's a treadmill that never stops. God loves sinners so much. He sent Jesus to live and die and rise again that we might be free from sin, free from the law that pronounces condemnation, free from the bondage of self-righteousness and works religion. If you want to be really free, truly free, only the Son can give you that. And if you want His grace, you can have it. Come even this morning to the Lord who loves you. Take a load off. Let me pray for you.